and welcome to The Sunday Salon, the podcast that celebrates brilliant books and the women who write them. I took Emma Rowley's You Can Trust Me away on holiday to Wales and I gulped it down in one sitting. It's a really smart, grabby thriller about a ghostwriter who spends a week at the luxurious home of an influencer whose autobiography she's meant to be writing, only for things to take a very dark turn. It's a great read and I knew I had to speak to Emma about it, not least as she herself has been a ghostwriter. We chatted late last year and I loved hearing about that experience, her move into fiction and how she combines journalism with publishing. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Emma, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the Sunday Salon. I'm so excited to speak to you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. There's so many different things that I want to talk to you about, but I wonder if we can start. We're actually talking, not to pull the curtains back too much, but we're talking a little bit before kind of lockdown two, I suppose it's being called. I mean, literally the day before, actually, we're on lockdown eve. But I suppose this whole year we've all been living quite lockdown-y lives in the sense that we're not going out and doing things in the way we used to. And I just wanted to hear what your setup was and, and what it's been like for you, what your circumstances are. How have you spent the year and, and what is your plan for the kind of weeks ahead? Yeah, I mean, just looking back how quickly and also how interminable it's been at the same time. is what mm. me. And now it's almost winter. I suppose it is nearly winter. It's been all right. I've been, I've been fortunate in lots of ways. I've had enough work and I'm a freelance journalist. Um, touch wood, I've been working and was quite set up for it in that respect. I mean, in some ways, you could argue my life hasn't, you know, I worked from home a lot before, but I have missed a lot of my routine just in terms of writing. Often I'd go to a, like a workspace cafe near me where I live in Brixton, which I wasn't able to do as much and just, just little things, you know, despite being a freelancer who would be on their own a lot, I actually kind of managed to avoid that because that that's not really what I naturally like. So I was sort of a, a freelancer who loves to seek out other people, which has been harder this year. So that's been my main change. And then I've just missed all the socialising, I guess not with my sort of nearest and dearest, but all those people, I saw someone tweet about it, but all those people, you know, that you might see once or twice a year or cross paths with at a party or a work drinks that you wouldn't meet up yeah. with one. That's what I really missed. But all in all, I've had a good year relative to a lot of people. And how's it affected you kind of, I suppose creatively you said you used to work in a cafe you've obviously had to adjust that routine yeah have you found it harder to write it's certainly when there's a lot going on I mean as well as it being lockdown eve we're also talking on the day after the US election when it's not clear what the outcome is it can be very distracting when there's lots of big news like that so distracting I think my concentration span it got really bad earlier in the year I was completely addicted to Twitter and doom scrolling the whole time. I've got mm. enormous amounts of TV and films and I haven't read as much as I know lots of people have got into reading and as a writer, you know, you might have thought that I would, but for a long time it just wasn't how my brain was working. Mm. And when I did read, I was reading stuff. I've read a lot of books that I've read before, comfort reading. So that's been really reassuring for me. And then I think without lockdown without the events of the year I would have been writing my third fiction book because that was kind of what I had in my head but I haven't felt massively inspired or sure what I wanted to write in all honesty so mm. I haven't 
started that. <laughs> Perhaps I will have by the time this comes out and by the time my editors manage to chase me for um, ideas. But I do, I do think it has been disruptive creatively in lots of ways. So I've been doing more journalism writing and I've ghostwritten a book that I'm sort of probably will be finished by the time this comes out. So possibly less kind of using my imagination, which I think maybe felt a little bit stunted this year and doing relying sort of more on my journalism. So you mentioned there a couple of things that I want to ask you more about. Uh, one, kind of working on your third fiction book, and and of course I, I want to ask you about about your your novels, and in particular about You Can Trust Me, which came out earlier this year, and which I read and absolutely loved for lots of reasons. But you also mentioned ghostwriting, which is obviously a quite an intriguing sort of profession that's shrouded in mystery, really. It's almost like a bit of dark arts yeah. thing. So before I get into that, can I ask just a bit about how you first got into writing and how your sort of your career began? I mean, what were you like as a as a kid? What was your kind of family life like and and were you always interested in in writing yeah well I was always interested I was a reader rather than a writer I was always just a massive massive reader and from the time I was sort of learnt to read that was just what I loved to do I was I'm probably a bigger reader then than I am now you know I'd read the back of the cereal packet if there's nothing else to read it was just quite compulsive and that was really big thing in my life and then I went off to uni to do English and then switched to classics and English halfway through. But um, so that was, you know, a literature based degree. And then afterwards, I went and trained as a journalist and became a news reporter at the Press Association, which is a news agency, and was on that sort of reporter route. So, you know, courts and, you know, police investigations and sort of breaking news. And then I became a business journalist and finally moved over to features over quite a long over quite a long time and features would be the sort of more long form pieces yeah defining features is always you, you might find the same but defining what features journalism is is always slightly tricky I find but um, I moved off the sort of breaking news beats basically and then I got into ghostwriting basically I was still on the business desk of a newspaper when my I think it was my flatmate at the time or maybe we weren't living together but she was working in publishing and it is often it, this will make it sound very much who you know, but I think it was also because I'd flagged, you know, I'd, I'd sort of paid attention to what she was doing. She was editing nonfiction books and thinking, oh, I want to, who gets to write these and how does it all work? And she had a book that had been ghostwritten by someone else, but they wanted a rewrite um, to a quick turnaround. So all the facts were there, but they wanted it kind of, I guess, polished up and given a bit more colour, which does happen. Um, and I said, oh, I'll do it. And I did it very cheaply. That I think probably also helped because it was my first one and, and I think it was over one Christmas, um, probably about 10 years ago now, and I worked very hard and enjoyed doing it. Then I got a non-fiction book commission. Um, I wrote a book, it was a behind-the-scenes guide to Downton Abbey, one of the official books that tie in with the series, and that wasn't actually a ghostwriting job. I was, it's got my name on the cover. Yes, um, yeah. But it's quite similar skills to ghostwriting in that it's it's based in fact, it's not a fiction book. It's interviewing people, which is the basis of ghostwriting. Although for a book like that, I think I interviewed about 50 people involved with the show. And it's actually, even though it's one of the first books I did, it was probably still one of the most challenging just in terms of the sort of scope and the amount of people I had to interview in the time period. 
And because of that, after that, I thought, oh, oh, I want to write another book, but I'll find someone with a great story. And through my work as a newspaper, I was meeting interesting people. And I came across a woman who had a great personal story. And I I think I interviewed her for the paper. And then I also said to her, oh, if you ever want to, you know, if you ever were thinking about a book, um, I'd be interested to know. And, you know, perhaps we could do one together. And I ended up writing her life story as a memoir. And we got an agent together who sent it out to publishers and one of them snapped it up. That was the first book I ghost wrote, not celebrity. It was the sort of, I guess we would call it real life, an ordinary person with an extraordinary story. Off the back of that, then I sort of had, it's, it's a typical thing of once you've got one under your belt, I sort of had to make that happen myself. But after that, you know, my agent would hear of projects. You just start to, the ball starts to sort of roll without you. And then it becomes slightly easier, I think, just in terms of people know you've done one, you've got you've got something to show people or say you've done. And I started doing a few celebrity ones and I was trying to count them up. I think I've done about half a dozen. It's so interesting. I think you're the the first person who's kind of got a story, who's been on this podcast, who's who's had that story where they've approached someone about writing a book with them. You know, in your case, it was sort of ghosting a memoir, but I suppose it could be a book about someone or it could be all kinds of things. And and then together getting an agent and getting it published like that. It's a, it's, it's a really interesting alternative path into publishing. And with the, with the ghostwriting, I mean, say you're doing a celebrity. I know you can't tell me (laughs) whose books you've ghostwritten. I wish you could, but we've already discussed this and you can't. I imagine it's quite nerve wracking meeting that. I mean, I get when I'm doing newspaper interviews or whatever, or even interviews for this podcast, a little bit nervous beforehand. What's it the whole process like when you're having to, presumably you sit down with a person and interview them a whole load and have to ask them loads of nosy questions about their personal life that they might not want to go over. Yeah, although interestingly, that's what you'd think. Of, and that's what I had to do with the first one I did, which was the real life, the, the sort of ordinary person with a great story that was very personal um but others if you think about what's actually you you know you go into a bookshop and the non-fiction books that you see that are really selling a lot of them aren't memoirs often a celebrity might do a memoir but then they'll come out with other books that they're interested in a kind of more mm. lifestyle um related you know it might be health or fitness or um beauty or business There's, a lot of them will take a, an aspect of their lives that they want to explore and a book about that so what I would say is I haven't I've done less memoir than you might expect and more of it's been kind of that guide to life in some way without being too specific to give away what I've been writing so but you do still mm. spend a lot of time with them but a lot of it's done over the phone I think I've always had introductory meetings that are in person well in normal times they might meet a few writers to see who they click with so I've definitely I'm sure I've interviewed for you know, met people who might have gone with a different writer who, because they've got to feel comfortable with you, who might be a bit older. I'm sure there was one that in my 20s I went and interviewed someone or went to meet her. And I think they went with an older writer. And I can see exactly why they did, because she was maybe a couple of decades older than me. And it was, her story was going to be very personal. And I can see why she went with someone who would have felt more like her. And the books that I have worked on have been generally young women where you've got that sort of natural rapport and possibly shared interests hopefully but yeah I do get nervous but weirdly journalism interviews I definitely get more nervous because I think 
even in the sort of most comfortable environment and the most perhaps friendly publication there's a there's a sort of natural wariness because that has to be really because they're not in control of the ultimate results because they can't be the paper or magazine is going to print what they want within within reason but you know they're not going to see the finished result until it's out yeah it, w- it wouldn't be standard whereas with ghost writing they defense has come down a bit I think because I'm not going to put out anything that they haven't seen and that they're not happy with so it's just slightly more relaxed and you feel you're possibly a bit more on the same team whereas with journalism I just you you can't be you know as, as polite and as friendly and as much as you might get on with someone that your interests aren't exactly the same if that makes sense that does make sense although it does also make me wonder can it create sort of frustrations and and tensions and certainly this is actually a sort of part of the plot if you can trust me which yeah. which we'll come to but can it create tensions whereby you as the kind of writer as the storyteller wants to do one thing and you know from your experience and your instincts that that will make it more compelling and you know and therefore more successful and your subject actually doesn't want to and and that could be whether it's a memoir or a lifestyle I mean it may be that they just want to put completely banal advice in that's totally safe and isn't going to offend or a shock or or get wrong anything um and whereas you perhaps might want to be a bit edgier because you think that that's going to be a more compelling read do you ever have those frictions where basically you're wanting to write something and, and, and they don't like it yeah, I, on one of my earlier projects, I wrote back, I think it was the one where I was rewriting the original manuscript to get a bit more sort of energy and colour into it. And, you know, it's, I, I guess it's kind of an editorial doctor job, you might call it a rewrite. So I wrote on the manuscript um, notes that the author was going to see. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, we're talking about your love life here. I wonder if we could learn a bit about more your your early boyfriends before your I think she was married her, your current husband I think she replied going are you joking in the notes like are you joking are you mad or something like that I mean good human but she just did not want to go there but I that wouldn't typically be my role to really push them on that because it is their book and they have to be really comfortable with what they're putting out into the world I would say the situation that um my heroine gets into in the fictionalized version in the I was going to say fictionalised version of me. She's very much not a fictionalised version of me. Yeah, I would say that's not really a situation that I'd get into in real life happily. It tends to be more straightforward in terms of you're both working to get a good book out. and You're probably more on the same team than than what happens in my novel. <laughs> well, that leads us quite nicely onto your fiction. How did you, I suppose, how did you make the leap from doing journalism and non-fiction into doing fiction had you been working on kind of novels in the past your your first book is where where the missing go yeah did you kind of write it all out first or did you kind of do a pitch can you just tell me a little bit about yeah how that happened no I had worked on other novels in the past I've got I I actually recently put them all together in a file because I always think it's quite I mean I'm not planning to write them all but just to remember sort of the things that you have tried because it's quite easy to sort of discard all those kind of I guess they're failed starts but I think they're all really useful actually you know I started writing a, a rom-com I, I was looking through them and one of them was like pure romance and I was thinking when did I write this but um because I always wanted to write a novel but I really didn't know what I wanted to write and the way it came about in some ways my career feels quite backwards because I'd written loads of books before I 
ever wrote a novel with my name on which can feel quite weird and equally I didn't do the traditional route which I would say is you know someone writes a novel in their spare time and then approaches an agent with it so I had my agent I'd written books and I was more used to the non-fiction way of working which is that you write a proposal sell a book in the way that I did with my very first ghost written book we wrote a proposal which is a synopsis and a first chapter and you and your agent sends that off to publishers and then they bite or not. And that's quite common with nonfiction. Whereas with fiction, they typically want the whole manuscript. But I guess because I knew some people in publishing, I spoke to an editor who was looking for thrillers, psychological thrillers. It's, cause it's been such a growth area, really. Would you be interested in, you know, have you ever thought about writing one? Have you got any ideas? So I went away and wrote a proposal for a psychological thriller, which was my first novel where the missing go and then on the back of that I got a two book contract with Orion so I wrote where the missing go and I wrote you can trust me which is the one about the ghostwriter which has just come out this year so I wrote two novels so I I think the unusual thing about that is less that I had that I hadn't written them but it meant that I was writing my first novel to a deadline which I do think is unusual because it was brilliant in one respect because it absolutely meant that I wrote the book and I wouldn't say I'm a procrastinator, but I'd been thinking about writing a novel for years and years and years, but was very kind of, you know, discarding ideas and moving on to one. And once I had a contract, I was writing that book. I mean, it was definitely having to happen. Yeah, so that was my route. In some ways, I do feel it's quite backward. And because right now with my third novel, I don't have a set deadline. So for the first time, I'm thinking about writing a novel without a deadline, which it's completely standard for most writers, I would say, but is a new experience for me and possibly why I haven't written it yet this year. <laughs> and having sort of done all these different things like romantic comedies and, and so on, what made you do thrillers? Why, why did you end up writing? Was it just that you enjoyed reading them? What was it that kind of compelled you? Yeah. Well, I'd stopped reading so many rom-coms myself. Um, I read loads in my 20s. And then in my 30s, I'm in my late 30s now, I was, I I guess I was going with a lot of the kind of movement in the, what a lot of readers were doing. And I was reading more crime and thrillers myself. You know, Gone Girl was, I read it multiple times, actually. I was paying a lot of attention to how thrillers are put together. So, for example, my novels are completely, I plot them all out before I write them. And then, when I write them, they change a lot and there's a lot of rewriting and I've got, a, you know, I'm changing the manuscript, but I'm also changing my kind of master plan, which um, sounds very organised. But by the time the, the book's finally written, it's a sort of 50 page chaotic manuscript in itself with just thoughts and notes to myself about plot twists and red herrings. And, you know, because you're trying to surprise the reader because the readers are so in tune now with what people writing in the genre are up to and they can really they read so widely and they can really anticipate twists and you have to work quite hard to surprise them and keep them entertained I feel um which is a challenge also I really enjoyed writing thrillers because I just if I find a scene exciting I hope the reader does too and I've had a lot of fun just writing the sort of dramatic scenes where I'm trying to scare myself or just you know really raise the stakes or have something sort of very exciting happen to my characters so yeah they're fun to write it's interesting the idea of a whole kind of community of readers you sort of 
can kind of outsmart the yeah. writers in its way. I, I didn't really know. I mean, obviously I knew that thrillers had a devoted readership and it's a huge part of the publishing industry in terms of the economics of it. And you see now, you know, all the time in newspaper review sections, they'll have a kind of regular thriller section of the paper where they, they look at them. But I hadn't really thought about the idea that therefore you've got these kind of connoisseurs who could anticipate plot twists it's it's really interesting out of interest I mean how did you learn that would you I mean how did you how did you know that that there was that out there was it through having too many obvious plot twists and then getting burnt online like what was the yeah I mean I do read my reviews because um, obviously there's a lot of outlets now from you know Amazon and Goodreads and NetGalley which is where early proofs of books get placed by publishers and readers can request to read them off basically book bloggers can request to read them so yeah I was always interested in what people thought of my books because it's such a compliment if you get a stranger sort of saying oh I, I like this book I think you should read it it's just the best feeling mm. um, and equally I have paid attention to what people like and don't like about my books I read a lot of ebooks myself so I'll read reviews of books I'm, I'm always interested in what other readers think of a book before I'll buy it or choose it myself. So I think that must have played into it. It's really interesting. And what do you like? What's your your kind of writing process? Like, I mean, you mentioned before having deadlines yeah. and how that was helpful. And you also mentioned, you know, working from a cafe. Can you just kind of give me an idea of, of what a typical, I suppose, writing process for a book is like? How much time you spend plotting and planning versus writing versus kind of rewriting and editing and and then also what a day is like in the sense of yeah. do you get up at 5am and kind of have to write in a particular place with a particular scented candle or, or, oh, or I, would. Oh, I do have like... scented candles yeah <laughs> um I am a planner in terms of how long it takes to plan a novel I mean with book three for example which I haven't started you know you could say that's taken all year because I've been chewing over ideas for a year and basically discarding them but when I settle on one I'll probably do it quite quickly I would say maybe a month to two months it depends whether you're doing it full-time or not and whether your job or circumstances allow you to do that for because obviously for a lot of people and a lot of writers even if they are published they're doing other things at the same time but I have in the past with my first novel I think I planned most of it in about a week I went I was on holiday I was at a juice retreat of, of all things and planned most of it in that week it was so helpful to just get away from kind of normal life and I think you start to think about things a bit differently and I set out I, I came away from that with a I think a two-page synopsis in my first chapter which is what I eventually used to get that book contract and then I think my second one probably took me longer to plan because I wanted a more I, but I knew by that point that how much more detail I'd need and by for my second one I was sort of you know I had the court board I had my index cards that I put up I divided it into a five-act structure which quite a lot of writers do I think especially thriller writers that's quite a popular way of approaching books I would say um that's interesting a five-act structure I've never heard of that yeah. Why five? What, what does it tend to be like, those five acts? Well, sometimes people split it into three. I was very influenced by a book called Save the Cat, which is aimed at screenwriting, which, again, is just... I probably heard other writers talk about it as a way of... I don't know. I was always really interested in the way films were constructed, so I was watching a lot of films when I was thinking about book two. I was, you know, 
I remember I was watching um, Hitchcock's Psycho because I was really interested in sort of the way he's got a kind of switch in that way. You, well, hopefully I'm not giving away any spoilers for people who haven't seen it, but you're following one character and then he does this brilliant thing where later on in the film you, you suddenly have almost a different hero, which I was really interested in in, in how he'd done that. And that, um, in the same way I was really interested in Gone Girl where there's a massive midpoint twist which I don't think is giving away too much to say that because hopefully a lot of people have read it by now. But yeah, the five-act structure, it's just a way of sort of organising your material because at some point you're going to end up with sort of 90,000 words and you can end up with, oh, I've got way too much happening in my first half and not enough. in the... it's, it's just a way of looking at the way you're organising your events and the sort of challenges that are thrown in your hero or heroine's way. Um, and it kind of, it's quite a traditional way of storytelling, I guess. I'm definitely butchering this explanation. So if anyone's interested, I would recommend having just having a Google of Save the Cat and the whole idea there. Um, but you can argue that any of the sort of tip major Hollywood films fall into that structure and lots and lots of books and, you know, from sort of Shakespeare to something like Gone Girl. With, and it's these sort of storytelling beats that you can, some argue, some writers might argue that you'll, you'll just hit those beats naturally and you just absorb it through reading, which is quite true you could take a story like I don't know Cinderella and say that it it hits those it manages to fit these patterns that are very satisfying to us and don't feel that parts of the story are rushed or that not enough conflicts happened or the ending's interesting but why is it all happening and why is it taking sort of 30% of the book to reveal where really it should be told in a, at a faster pace so I was structuring my book quite carefully in terms of what was happening in each sort of chunk I guess and I found it really helpful to have it visually laid out with index cards on a notice board which I'd then be swapping around and I also use software called I don't know if it's Scrivener or Scrivener that I don't know if anyone's yeah 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 that's that's often recommended yeah that I found brilliant because Scrivener yeah it's just if you've got a sort of visual and maybe it's if your mind works visually but I just found it really helpful to see it in kind of acts or scenes in the same way you might in in a film rather than chunks of text that can start to feel quite unmanageable sometimes it's just something practical like if you've got more than one character who you're following it's like oh why have I spent 10,000 words with this character and I feel like we need to see what someone else is doing and it's just moving things around so that you you know you're not so everything feels like it's flowing and balanced and um, not rushed or too slow and enough unusual events are happening or yeah dramatic events I guess especially in a in a thriller where you want it to be quite exciting and but a lot of it would apply to other genres I think as well and what about your kind of typical sort of day and and are you ritualistic and do you are you or can you sort of write anywhere uh I have written anywhere actually I think it's brilliant because I you because I have written full time because I was freelance at the time and I was had deadlines you know to meet those deadlines even when they might have been pushed back a bit, I was writing full time at some points in the last few years. I don't actually think working, trying to write a book nine to five, five days a week or six days a week is what makes me happiest as a writer and the most productive. I just, it'd be brilliant if it was, but I, it's really tempting, especially if you're quite straightforward. You know, I've, I've been a journalist, so I'm very used to kind of the mindset of, well, it doesn't really matter whether you're feeling the inspiration. You have to fill the page. You have to hit your word count. You know, mm. a magazine is not going to wait for you to sort of 
feel the creative impulse but with fiction I did find that so I went into it thinking well I'll just be very disciplined with myself but it didn't actually always work that way and I had to probably learn to be a bit more relaxed you know I don't work brilliantly in the morning so starting at nine didn't really help me because my just brain just wouldn't be working until realistically about 11 11 a.m and equally especially writing my first one I got into quite bad habits in terms of I would suddenly get really into it at 9 p.m right till midnight or 1 a.m and then be really awake because I'd be full of adrenaline I'd been writing Mm. a scene where I got quite excited maybe I was you know trying to make it quite scary and trying to scare myself I once wrote one scene set in a cellar this was my second my second novel and afterwards I was just could not sleep because I'd managed to sort of spook myself um which is Mm. quite funny but it is a scary scene that (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) but yeah I had to learn to be a lot I guess you could say kinder to myself like I wasn't a machine I couldn't just crank it out nine to five five days a week realistically I could write on a good day 2,000 words a day because people are always very interested in word count I find um and I really was interested I was always googling you know oh Graham Greene manages to write only 500 words a day well I'm well I can do more than that (laughs) um but obviously he was writing you know brilliant brilliant prose so and also those those sort of numbers start to not matter so much I found because I could hit my word counts I'd sort of get to about 60,000 words of a book and then suddenly it would go down by 10,000 because I'd start editing and really improving it improve it or my word count would sort of remain the same for a month so I had to sort of abandon a lot of my ideas in terms of productivity I guess and how I thought I should be writing and really I could probably write for about six hours tops a day with breaks and if I pushed it too hard, I just wouldn't be enjoying it. And it it just wouldn't flow in the same way. And you do have to, you know, it's good to be disciplined, but it isn't it isn't a, a machine that you can just sort of crank out the words I, I found. Can I ask, with You Can Trust Me, why you decided the premise involving a kind of ghostwriter and, and an influencer was really interesting to me because it's so contemporary uh, that in, in, in five years' time, we might be like influencers or remember them. <laughs> and five years ago, or, or a little longer, you know, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have even known what, what that was. What made you focus on that in particular? Well, I knew there was a premise in a ghostwriter put into that situation I knew that just from my own experience I have had good experience as a ghostwriter but I knew from my own experience that it can be not a fraught relationship but it's just it has definitely has that potential one of the people that I ghostwrote for I think was quite uncomfortable with how much I was asking her about her life and details of her life and some of it we didn't put in the book because she wasn't comfortable but there were things that I had to understand about kind of um I guess the run-up to the events of the book because I couldn't write it unless I understood a bit more about her and at one point and she, so she kind of reacted in quite an interesting way but in that she was asking me a lot of questions um which, in, which interviewees can do but she, she just felt it didn't feel right and I think at one point she said to me you know Emma you know so much about me but I know nothing about you it was making her feel quite exposed but I remembered that comment and I think I worked it into the book in one way because because it because it's just there's that slightly uneven relationship where one party's trying to find out everything about the other person and telling them to open up their life to them and their brain and their heart and their thoughts and the other side is kind of a bit more of a blank slate and I knew 
and the influencer thing interested me just because I mean it's such a major thing in our time I mean I have get ghostwritten for influencers um because they are if, again I guess if you go into a bookshop it is what's on the shelves it isn't always when when I say that I've ghostwritten for celebrities I think sometimes people think oh it's you know I think they think Hollywood you know but it's not people are very interested in people who seem like them but have you know who are a bit more relatable so there is massive interest in um people who'd be classed as influencers um and they have really sort of close relationships with their fans and their followings and I'm one of them I'm I've got my people on Instagram that I like to see what they're up to so I guess you know I'm a fan too but I do think it's an interesting phenomenon because we're following these I guess it's generally women I'm in my point of view I'm definitely not following sort of random male bodybuilders yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) you seem to be a bit like you or maybe a better you know version of you on a good day a version of you if you had a bit more money or maybe went for that Mm. one a bit more often you know there's something I think there's often something about them that chimes with you and you you feel a connection but there's there's that sort of slightly you know a bit of um stardust or or a flattering light and then and then we always know that there's this tension between what we're showing online and what's really happening um which again I thought was quite quite juicy territory for a thriller because we all do it on our own lives you know you're not posting tweets or Instagram pictures or or or, or things that probably reflect the, the grimmest side of your life even the most honest person probably wouldn't so it's just an interesting, I think thrillers are always interested in sort of the difference between what appears to be happening and what really is happening. And social media seems like a massive, yeah, not uncharted territory, because I think lots of people are writing about it in interesting ways, but it's definitely juicy territory for a writer. And and what about your next book? Will your next book um, also be a thriller? I don't or... know. Well, it's quite interesting because I do think this year will change what we're consuming in terms of entertainment books music in quite significant ways one of the things I was thinking about a lot is how what we were wanted to read after you know the great wars and weirdly I'd been quite drawn to a lot of comedy this year so I was reading you know Cold Comfort Farm and Stella Gibbons I just ordered a book called Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day which is kind of 1930s social comedy which is completely not what I'd normally read so I don't know I wonder if we'll want things that are slightly lighter I would I would like to write something that I still want it to be exciting and about relationships between people but I wouldn't I am thinking of doing something that's maybe a bit lighter with a bit more humour I'm going to let you go soon because we're running out of time but before I do I, I just want to ask you one final question um which is the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, which is if you could go back and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? What would yours be? Oh, gosh. I guess keep going. And you never know where things will lead because yes, there's always a common thread, isn't there, often? If you're interested in something like we... I guess I was interested in reading and books and stories, and that's been a common thread throughout everything I've done from journalism to ghostwriting to writing my own stories. And at the time, it could it's not it's never been very clear as to where it was all leading but it's all been interesting yeah and stop beating myself up about word counts and starting at 9am in the morning (laughs) well it obviously it obviously works for you Emma thank you so much 
for coming on the podcast. You've been so fascinating to speak to. I've, oh, I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. And and to everyone listening, You Can Trust Me is out now. So that's it from me. Thank you so much for listening to the Sunday Salon. Please do share your thoughts about the episode with me. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alice Azania. And also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do think about leaving a review or a rating. It really helps the podcast success, and, and I love reading them as well. So until next week, thank you very much, and goodbye. Goodbye.